I had the opportunity to go to a pastor's conference and I was invited to speak at that conference and part of what I spoke about was the difference between sarcasm and cynicism. Does anyone know what is the difference between sarcasm and cynicism? Can you imagine? Think to yourself, okay. Actually, turn to one person. What's the difference between sarcasm and cynicism? Chat for a second. I'll bring you back. All right, super quick. Sarcasm and cynicism. Uh, I looked it up and sarcasm is the use of irony or the opposite of what is true to make a point or to be humorous. And I'd like to say that there is nothing wrong with sarcasm per se. Sarcasm could be, can be good, or it can be annoying, or it can be even hurtful, right? And I just want to affirm that amen, whoever said it was, that well, it was my husband, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just know that the uh, chairs are f a little further back today, so I'm going to need your help to connect, and uh, even though we are not a historically back black church, I really like that one of the traditions in the historically black church is that there's a back and forth, Amen. right? Amen. Amen. Okay. So, it, you know, you can say, preach it, sister. You can say, come on now. Come on, pastor. Amen. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes, one time, yeah, you can wave your flyer at me. Um, all right. So, yeah, so let me know if you're feeling something. I need a little, little feedback here because you're, you know, I'm lonely. All right, so a couple weeks ago, I was at a, we were doing a prayer ministry training, and uh, two people, one named Matt and one named Matthew, were there helping me and, uh, to prepare. They were going to help me out with the training, and uh, I said, oh, too bad. This person who's coming to help set up the worship threw his back out. And Matt said, oh, gee, it's too bad. There's nothing we can do here today to help him out with that. And Matthew said, wait a minute. Actually, there is. We could pray for that person. And I realized one person here is sarcastic. The other person here is not a sarcastic person. But I do want to say again that sarcasm is not necessarily inherently harmful, right? It's not necessarily, it can be funny or witty or bonding or winsome. Often though, sarcasm is kind of on a spectrum with cynicism, right? They're kind of similar to each other and uh, Sometimes you're like, when am I in the land of mere sarcasm? When am I in the land of sarcastic cynicism, right? And I'm not sure exactly how to, you know, how to uh, quantify it exactly. But when you're in the land of cynicism, you kind of know, right? You just know, like, okay, that was an extremely cynical comment. Cynicism is a skepticism and a deep distrust 
about people, a belief that people are motivated by pure self-interest, an attitude characterized by distrust, both in people's motives, but also in the hope or the possibility of a good outcome, right? It's a belief that God or the universe or life will always produce bad results. Cynicism, I suggest to you, is unhelpful always in the life of a follower of Jesus because for us, those of us who are following Jesus, hope and trust are so central to our journey, right? Hope and trust are so central and cynicism undercuts that, is the opposite of that, stands against a life of faith. I thought it was interesting that even the effects of long-term cynicism are dangerous even for a person's health. A study published by Neurology Journal in 2014 found an association between high levels of late-in-life cynicism or cynical distrust and dementia. Psychology Today says, says that cynicism, cynicism, can't even say it, is strongly associated with depression, cancer, heart attacks, dementia, obesity, and even a lower income. And if you think about it, you, you realize, I could see that. Cynicism is not a good thing but we all kind of struggle with it, don't we? Some of us are more or less sarcastic by nature, by personality, but I think that we all struggle in our different ways with cynicism. What is something that you are tempted to be cynical about? Maybe we have all our different things. Politics? <laughs> Amen to that one. Church leaders, the Bay Area, uh, organic vegetable. I mean, you know, there are so many things. You can pick your own. What are the things that you're like, ah, yeah, right. Where, or maybe you don't express it that way, but you know in your heart that you are cynical about this, this one thing or another. And I suggest to you that one of the things that many of us are cynical about, especially those of us who are in the church, who've been following Jesus for a while, one of the things that is very common and tempting to be cynical about is the topic of my sermon today, which is healing. Very tempting to be cynical about healing. Because many of us have experienced faith healers, right? or what, they, what is normally called faith healers, or kind of uh, people who are pressurizers or tricksters or fakes in the area of uh, Holy Spirit and healing. There's sometimes pressure to be healed or say that you're healed or experience the Holy Spirit in a certain way. I remember one time I was being prayed for by some very enthusiastic Holy Spirit-oriented people. And, um, you know, was, I think there were three of them, and they asked me if they could lay hands on me, and I said, fine, that's totally okay with me and biblical. So lay hands on me, and the person praying said, I feel the Holy Spirit is coming, you know? And I was like, 
okay. <laughs> but I realized that they were putting pressure on me physically with their hands. You know, there was like, they were kind of looking for, I don't know, for me to be slain in the spirit or collapse or something like that. And there was, there was some pressure. And, but I was like, mm -mm, no, no, I'm not going to, you know. So I remember, like, I was just praying like this. And at, at one point, I go like this, because I was not going to be slain in the spirit. <laughs> I was like... I am not falling down. And then, you know, they were like, oh, here it comes. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Here it comes. And I was like, mm -mm, no. <laughs> because I was like, please do not pressure me. Don't pressure me to do something that is on your agenda. Even if you think God is doing something, that is not helpful to me. I don't know if other people are like that or that's just my personality. But I was like, mm, no. Cynicism. Sometimes, uh, some of us have prayed for things and have not been healed, right? Okay, anyone here who prayed for things and you're like, nothing, or this other thing, but it's not happening. I'd like to look, help us, I'd like to invite us to look at a couple passages in scripture today that addresses healing and cynicism. All right, so the first one here is Luke 4.18. Jesus arrives on the scene in Palestine with a mission statement that is the polar opposite of cynical. Listen for the non-cynicism in this statement. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Not only is this not cynical in a, such a huge way, it is profoundly trusting and team-oriented and unifying in its vision. Jesus, he says, I'm not on my own here. Woven even in the midst of this mission statement is about the Trinity. He said, I've been sent here. I don't do this on my own power. We're doing this together uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's connected in the past from the prophets and the scripture. He says, I've been anointed. I've been sent. It's not all about me. We're doing all this stuff. Jesus, this is an incredibly non-cynical statement. Let me continue. In uh, Luke chapter 5, 17, Jesus is on the scene, and set, verse 17 says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, I don't know exactly what was on the hearts of those who were sitting around Jesus, but I can tell you that I'm pretty sure they were not being there as cheerleaders. They were not there as Jesus' support system. They were there to be critics. They were there to wait to see if Jesus would do something wrong or inappropriate or criticizable. They are there to critique. That's not a fun situation. If I was here preaching and I knew that y'all were sitting there like waiting for me to make a misstep or to stutter or to say something wrong, that would not be fun, right? But that's, that's where Jesus is at. 
He's surrounded by cynicism embodied in these people of power. Like, let's just see. Let's just see what negative thing. And the power, but as scripture says that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Verse 17 says, 18 says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. What marks these friends? Faith. Faith. Yeah. Boldness. Desperation. Desperation. Yeah. I see no cynicism in these friends, right? They could have come and said, oh, I knew it, a crowd. That's annoying. Or I, you know, like we never get a chance to be up front. And of course, Jesus would be in the middle, in the house. Forget it. Are they like that? They're like, we have a barrier, no problem. We're gonna solve it. We're gonna come together. We're gonna trust each other. We're gonna climb to the roof, break open the roof, and I don't know how they thought about this. We're gonna somehow lower down our friend from the roof into Jesus' presence. They, they just have this, we can do it because we have to. They're desperate. And verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. It seems like God just honors faith wherever it is. He honors the, the faith of the friends and maybe the fact that this guy is willing to let these crazy friends do this crazy thing. But Jesus doesn't respond with like, hey man, you're kind of interrupting me here, or this was not on the agenda, or this is chaotic, or you just ruined my friend's house. I mean, he doesn't do any of that. He's like, yes, this is awesome. God honors faith anywhere, even uh, faith that's not perfect and smooth and uh, appropriate. He just honors faith where you find it. I remember when my friend Arpeny was um, leading children, children's ministry, uh, in this church, she uh, had a um, sinus infection. And when she had sinus infections, it would be so annoying and would be, you know, get it for a long time, you know, put her out for weeks and weeks and weeks. So she asked these first graders if they would pray for her. And, you know, they were like, we've been learning how to pray, you know, so... They laid hands on her and prayed for her, and wouldn't you know it, she was healed. One of my children are one of those people that prayed for her, and they will never forget it for the rest of their life. Faith doesn't have to be like the faith that knows everything and has experienced everything and weighs everything and uh, says everything perfectly. It could be even like the faith of a child, right? But God loves that. God loves faith anywhere. And this guy was not only physically unwell, but spiritually unwell. And somehow, like all of us, he had sin in his life. This guy in the first century, he would have been seen as someone who um, was cursed of God. 
because surely his sin must be strong in order to uh, be in this physical situation. So there's probably a myriad of ways that this guy is suffering, right? Physically, societally, emotionally, relationally, probably economically, spiritually. He wouldn't be allowed to go into the center parts of the temple. Sickness does a number on us, doesn't it? Sickness is never just physical or one-dimensional. There's just so many ways that when you're sick, it affects you, right? I know for those of you who have chronic illness, there's just so many things that go with it. Even the chronic, the nine-month chronic illness of pregnancy, right? There's just so many. It's just so multifaceted. The uh, or, or things that people don't understand that you're going through. It's so isolating. That was sarcastic, but not cynical. Yes. <laughs> the nine-month chronic illness of pregnancy. Yes. Good point. Illness is usually holistic. And what we see here is that Jesus cares about the whole person. Jesus cares about this whole person. A note about modern medicine. I'm not in the medical field, but I have a child who has many medical needs, and I kind of feel like they need to give me at least a master's degree because we have so many doctors in our life. I counted it up. There are 14 clinics or or departments that we are involved with at Stanford Hospital alone. Right? (laughs) So... Uh, my, bra- my son has a brain malformation, and it affects many parts of his life. And I feel like at some point I'm interpreting, you know, endocrinology to neurology, and there's dermatology, and there's all these departments, and they're all siloed, and they're all separate, and they're all specialists, but not holistic, right? And I, don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for those awesome, wonderful specialists, but it is super siloed. You know, and ophthalmology doesn't understand his GI issues. Dermatology doesn't understand his sleep issues. And I've had to explain, you know, endocrinology to neurology. And, you know, all these things, they're all separate. But Jesus is a holistic healer. That's the first thing you need to know about Jesus. I want to point out to you one tiny little word. In this verse... Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Why did Jesus put that word in? Friend. He doesn't often call people friend. He doesn't, that's not a thing he does all the time when he heals people. It would be incredibly unusual for God to call someone friend. In fact, in the whole of the Old Testament, there's only one person who's called friend of God. Does anyone know who it is? Huh? Abraham. Abraham, the forefather of the Israelites. Jesus, this guy would have been seen as cursed of God and wouldn't be let into the temple and would be seen as an outsider. Something must be wrong with him. But Jesus calls him friend. He affirms who this guy is, saying, you have the, the inheritance of Abraham, your forefather. You've been excluded in the community of God, but I'm bringing you back to the people of Israel. You are part of God's chosen. 
You are included. You are back in community of God because Jesus says you are forgiven. He addresses his spiritual situation. And then the Pharisees of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy and who, forgive, who can forgive sins, but God, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? That's an interesting thing about Jesus, right? He's like, what's going on inside of you? Let's just bring that out into the open. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Well, it is easier to say your sins are forgiven because you don't have to back that up. It's invisible, right? But in order to prove the easier thing to say, and the harder you, though the harder thing to do, which is to forgive sins, Jesus is going to do the thing that is harder to say, which is get up and walk, to show that he can do both. So he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He immediately, immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So Jesus heals. But not only that, again and again, we see that Jesus heals the whole person. Jesus heals the whole person. He wants to heal physically, relationally, spiritually, socially, in so many other ways. And the crazy thing is that it's not just Jesus who heals. When Jesus called his disciples, he was like, hey, you go out and heal, right? In Luke 9, verse 2, it says, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He calls his disciples to heal. And not only did he invite the disciples to be a part of that, he invites us to be a part of that too. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's just talking to a normal church here. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. So we're told that God pours out gifts of healing in the church among normal people, and we're invited into that experience of being a part of people's healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, going back to the original thing about cynicism, I want to say, but how, how, people of God, how, Lord Jesus, does one remain uncynical when not everyone gets healed? Am I right? How do you remain uncynical? We know that cynicism is not good for our hearts, but how do you remain in that place when not everyone gets healed? Can we just acknowledge that not everyone gets healed? Or not everyone gets healed at the time that you're hoping that it would, right? My mother had breast cancer 20 years ago, and um, thank God, you know, the, the, the breast cancer was dealt with, but as a part of the chemotherapy, she ended up having really severe neuropathy in her feet. 
And um, it meant she just had super, super pain in her feet. She could barely walk around. It was like, she said, it would be like wearing super high heels for a whole week in a row, you know? And sometimes she felt like it was just pins and knives, you know, just to walk to the bathroom. And she had this for 10 years. And my mom is a, I mean, you watch out if you send a prayer request to my mom. My mom is a prayer warrior. But God didn't answer that prayer for a really long time. And I asked her about it, and, and I was like, Mom, how did you keep from being cynical? And she's like, I don't know. I just, thanks be to God. And I'm like, oh, you're of no help. <laughs> she's just not cynical. Yeah. Huh? It was sarcastic. Yes, that's in a winsome and bonding way. <laughs> My husband and I are connected with a ministry called Johnny and Friends. Johnny Erickson Tata um, struggled with this issue for a long time. She had a diving accident and became a paraplegic. And she sought healing for her injury for a long time. And she became a believer and she prayed and she had all this faith and she believed that God would heal her. And in her words, she says... I certainly believed. I was calling out my girlfriend saying, next time you see me, I'm going to be running up your sidewalk and God's going to heal me. Yet Johnny is still in a wheelchair today. 55 years after the accident that left her paralyzed, God has still not healed her spine. In fact, she's gone through two rounds of cancer. I read that and I was like, what? She's gone through two rounds of cancer, but I can tell you for a fact, this woman is not cynical. She believes passionately in God. After she's had two rounds of cancer, after all this, she's still a person of hope and tenacity and love. And as I pondered these things and I Asked the Lord, what should I say to the people of God? He gave me two things. Two things I want to say about the Holy Spirit and healing, which we are called to, which he certainly does, which is an important part of our life together. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit is not a showman or a vending machine. Now, I'm guessing you know this, but I'm just going to say it again, because sometimes we need to just hear it and be preached it, the Holy Spirit is not a showman or a vending machine. What the process is for each individual person to experience healing and wholeness is up to God and in all of God's mystery and wisdom and not us. And we don't get to control or dial it up what we, what we want to have happen in our lives. We don't know what the story is in people's lives. We don't know God's timing. We don't know how it all fits together. And especially since healing is not just individual, we have no idea how God is at work in a way that involves more than just our own lives, right? In America, we think of like faith as me, God, that's it. But we don't know how God is at work in communities, in nations, in uh, eras. I think this is what keeps my mom from being cynical. Because she's like, I don't know what God was doing. God healed me, and it took 10 years. I don't know why. 
I'm okay with that. The second thing I want to say to you is that Jesus loves being asked to heal. He loves being asked to heal. Notice how he responded when these people tore open a roof and uh, interrupted everything that he was doing. He was glad for it. And he's like, oh, an opportunity. Let's do it. Let's engage. Jesus is glad to send his Holy Spirit when we ask. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who just had a super painful breakup with a partner of many years. And she's just in massive pain, emotionally, psychologically. It's affecting her physically. And I said, can I pray for you, uh, for God to touch you and heal you? And she said, I don't want to bother God. I'm sure many people have many more problems than I do. But the thing I, I felt like was bursting from my heart is, but Jesus is so honored. If you would ask him, he would, it's his love language, you know? But it's not like he's a, a slot machine. That's not the point. The point is, in relationship with Jesus, who loves and cares about you and wants to pour out his blessing and healing in his wisdom and way, he's so blessed when you ask for help from him. And it is worth it. Even if Joe Schmo has it worse than you, he wants to hear from you what you want from him. We honor God by asking for healing. And having his children ask for things is God's love language. Is Julie Young in the house? Okay, come on up, Julie. So I'm just going to say healing, is, the last thing I want to say is healing is not just for individuals. It is for communities, for families and countries. So I want to encourage you to ask for healing, for healing in our land, for healing in the American church, for healing in our church, for healing in our families, healing in your life. I want to ask you this, and I'm going to ask you it again. Where do you need to pray for healing? Your life? Someone else's life? You honor God when you are open to it. I want to encourage you by asking Julie to come up and share her story. Good morning. Oh, there I am. <laughs> It was a treat to be in here. I'm always outside over there. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, I'm really excited to be able to share this story with you. Uh, it's a story of the Holy Spirit working in my life over a long period of time and really bringing healing and hope in very surprising and mysterious ways that I couldn't have expected. Um, yeah, but it's a story of his faithfulness to me. Uh, so because it's over a long period of time, I need to start with a little bit about who I am and going back to me as a child. Uh, I think I was just born this way. Uh, my parents, I think, used the word very early on that I was stubborn, but I much prefer strong will. Any of you want to relate to that, right? I like the strong will word better. And uh, an example of uh, my strength as a child and the idea that I really would fight for things I believed in. So if I believed 
believed it was right, and if I believed I was right, then nothing would stop me. Well, an example is when uh, the dentist at age five said, uh, you know, I need to wear a retainer. And I was like, nope, I don't agree with that. Nope. <laughs> so I went on a hunger strike for three days as a five-year-old, didn't eat or drink. And when they were about ready to bring me to the hospital, uh, I finally gave in. And yeah, I took that sip of water and it was Sprite. And I was like, oh man, they really got me. So anyway, that's the kind of kid I was. And But I knew um, when I became a Christian really at 13 and gave myself to God, I was like, okay, Lord, you've made me this way. I'm extremely strong-willed, but let me use it for you. Let me use it for your purposes and to fight for the things that you care about. Um, so fast forward into my first marriage, and when I was starting to hit really some significant difficulties, you know, I gave it my all. It's just who I am. I'm like, no, God believes in this marriage, and God can bring victory, and I'm going to do everything I can. And so um, I prayed. I sought help, a lot of counsel. A lot of friends were praying. And in the, um, the last two years of the marriage, I actually felt called to fast once a week for, for those years. And I was doing doing that, really believing in total victory, and God's got this. And uh, the last bit of the marriage, I actually prayed, I fasted for 40 days. So I was like all in. And, uh, you know, God is so faithful in, like, when I look back, it's like he loved me, he cared about the marriage, but you know, it didn't get answered the way I thought it was going to be answered, right? I ended up in divorce, and all of a sudden, I was uh, a single mom with four kids in the Bay Area, and I'd landed into a place in my life that I never, ever in a million years thought I would be in. And, uh, you know, I truly felt close to God during that time. I didn't struggle with feeling like he'd abandoned me or anything like that, but because he was just so good and so faithful, but... I'll be honest, there was something in my heart that had changed. I, The best way I can describe it is that when my marriage died, something died in my heart. And it was specifically in my prayer life with God. Like, I could talk to, you know, I could still talk to God and I could pray for other people, but just the deep intercession and the deep fighting for something really important, and I don't know, it was just gone, and I just had nothing there anymore. And it was so deep and so painful, and I knew it was just dead, that all I could say is, like, Holy Spirit, only you can fix this. I, I don't even know where to start. And through the years, um, this is actually 15 years ago when it first happened, right, when I went through divorce. And so for over the last 15 years, I've asked myself every now and then, like, Holy Spirit, what would it look like if you healed me in this area? What would it look like if um, my prayer life was different and more intimate with you again, but I can't fix it. Only you can do it, you know? And uh, so one of the steps, I think, towards healing in this area came when I married my wonderful husband, Matthew. Uh, and anybody, uh, if you, believe me, if you, if you don't want to pray or be intimate with God, don't hang out with Matthew because that's like, that's like his love language. It's like all day long. Should we pray? Should we pray? I'm like, no! <laughs> Yes, I was that person, because I just don't want to do anything unless it's authentic to who I am, right? So, so you know, we'd pray on occasion, but I wasn't letting, I just wasn't going to go there to the deeper places. It was like, no, I can't do this. So that was the first step. Um, and then spending time here at Palto Vineyard, 
uh, I was introduced to Ignatian exercises. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's really an opportunity to spend time alone with God, with the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to just really talk to you in any way he wants to. And it was so refreshing for me to be in a place where I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to hide like, hey, I'm just, I'm just, this is where I am and there's nothing else I can do about it. You know, I could just be myself with him. And I will say that in those quiet moments, the Holy Spirit did so much to transform me. Uh, and I'm so grateful still for all the things I've learned from Ignatian exercises. And then uh, speeding up a little bit now uh, to more recent history. Um, so December of last year, uh, I started having some physical things going on. And it was the most random thing ever. I uh, had some ear pain. And like I had no cold. I had no other symptoms. And I have had zero ear pain and ear trouble in my life, right? But it was like enough pain over a week that I was like, Oh, I guess I better go look at it, you know, I, you know, to take the time to go to the doctor, right? So I go in, and you know, the nurse is like, "Hmm, yeah, you don't have an infection," because that's what I was thinking. Maybe I had an ear infection. I didn't know it. She's like, "No, you definitely don't have an ear infection, but your ears really don't look right." I'm like, "What do you mean they don't look right? They seem fine to me." You know? <laughs> but anyway, she's like, "Yeah, they're not inside. They just don't look the way they're supposed to look." I'm going to refer you to an ENT. I'm like, "Okay, okay." So. <laughs> You know, maybe I just go along grudgingly. But um, so it took about two months before I could get to, into an ENT. So this is February of this year. And I, you know, he's like poking and prodding. And it's actually hurting as he's like poking and prodding and looking in my ear. And he's like, yeah, you have something really interesting on your inner ear. It looks like your inner ear is just exposed. So like the layer of skin that's supposed to cover it is like not there. And I'm like, I can feel it when you're poking at me, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. I'm like, great. Okay. So, so then he tells me, okay, you know, I want you for the next six weeks to do this thing called dry ear. And I'm like, what's dry ear? And he's like, okay. So every time you take a shower, you have to have cotton balls, you dip it in Vaseline, you stick it in your ears to make sure that no water gets in your ear. And I'm like, oh, that does not sound fun. I don't want to stick things in my I like my showers. Like, why are you, you know? Anyway, I'm grumbling, but I do it, right? But I find as the time goes, I'm getting more and more annoyed. Like, you know, halfway through the shower, it's falling out my ear, and then I have to grab another one. And then, like, you know, and I just was like, oh, just. So then I went back six weeks later in March, and I'm hoping, I'm like, okay, whatever this is is just healed up, it's fine, and I can keep moving on with my life. And he's like, oh no, it's really not looking good. So we're going to need to do some extra things. And Again, the person who I am, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to do these ointments. I don't know if I need them. But anyway, I did the cotton balls still, but I was grumbling the whole time about doing it longer. And then end of March, women's retreat. Uh, so I'm sitting there at the women's retreat Saturday night, and I'm clicking on the slides. I'm running the slides for um, the speaker and you know for worship, trying to just focus on that. And then uh, Susan gets up with a word from the Holy Spirit, and she goes, I have a picture of cotton balls in the ears. And I'm like, really? <laughs> God, really? Is that what you're trying to do with me right now? So she says, you know, I feel like I feel like it's like a picture of like not being able to hear God. And anybody who, you know, has that problem, feel free, you know, to come up for prayer. And I'm like, oh, God, I, I hear you. It's fine. But I'm like, no, no, the cotton balls, that was for me. So the next morning on Sunday, I go out on a walk with God. And the Holy Spirit just came. And I cannot tell you 
how much he came. Um, so he unpacked some things that had happened in my life during divorce, the words that were said to me that I honestly, well, actually, they weren't even said to me. It was in a room where I wasn't even there. But I had heard about the words. And those words had created so much pain and it created so many blocks, not only with God, but actually in my relationship with Matthew and with other people. It was like when he uncovered those, those words, it was like this huge boulder off my heart. I cannot even tell you. And I was like, I don't believe this. I think you orchestrated the whole cotton ball thing just so I could get to this point so I could hear what you're saying to me. And um, I can tell you, and I think Matthew can attest to that, I came back from the women's retreat and like, I am a new person. I mean, it is like, I mean, you know, I'm still on a journey with Jesus. I'm, I still need healing. I'm sure of that. But the Holy Spirit ministered to me in such an intimate way and just revealed this huge thing that I didn't even know was in my heart that was creating so many problems. I'm going back to the holistic thing. It wasn't actually just in my prayer life. It was actually in a lot of ways I viewed things in the world and with people. It was so much more, and the Holy Spirit knew that, right? And, um, of course, to just top off the icing on the cake of this story is, you know, a week or two later, I go back to the ear doctor, and he's like, whoa, it's completely healed. What happened? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> this It's all a God thing. <laughs> so just I'm so grateful for how the Holy Spirit works with us so, so personally, right? The whole cotton ball thing was absolutely a very personal word to me. The way he has taken me in a journey over a long period of time. And, you know, I really agree with the idea, too, is just... Like, I didn't even know what to ask for. I just knew there was something in my heart that needed healing. And so that's pretty much what I could, that's what I said for a lot of time was just simply, please help. And that's all I could say. And he made a way. So thank you. <laughs> Worship team, would you come on up? I just want to say that worship is an opportunity to interact with God and to hear from God and enter into a space with God. And I hope that you are learning that it's not just songs, it's not just words, but it is really an atmosphere that we are entering into. So as we're led in, in more worship, would you stand and would you open up your heart and mind to enter in to this space with God. <laughs> 